Welcome to the sixth of these lectures on natural capital. Uh, in the last lecture, uh, I introduced the concept of public goods as one of the key principles in applying natural capital concepts to the environment. There are two more. Uh, there's the polluter pays principle, which is the subject of this lecture. And then the next one is going to look at net environmental gain. So the polluter pays principle sounds simple and it's deceptively simple uh, and it sounds obvious thing to do. Why wouldn't you make polluters pay? Well, uh, it turns out that we need to unpack this quite substantially. And when we do, it will become clear that an economy in which the polluter paid is a much more efficient and prosperous economy than the one we have now and would be radically different from what currently exists. So there are some questions we need to get sorted out. Who are the polluters? Who exactly are these people who are going to pay? And in particular, uh, is it ever the case that we might want to pay the, the polluters rather than make them pay? Is there any way in which those things may be uh, turned on their head? Then when we sort out who the polluters are and when and, uh, uh, and in what circumstances we might not apply this particular principle, we then need to look at the design of polluter pays charges and then think through how they would make this radical uh, transformation, which I mentioned uh, already. So who pollutes? Well, you might think it's those nasty industries. It's those smokestack uh, businesses, those global capitalist com companies, uh, these businesses that uh, uh, wreck our environment around us. And we, as the ordinary citizens, are the uh, unfortunate victims of their activities. This turns out to be one of those very convenient political uh, fairy tales. And what it doesn't do is recognise that the ultimate polluters are always us. It's always our consumption which causes the pollution to take place. And all those horrible capitalist businesses that uh, many environmentalists love to hate are doing stuff on our behalf. And when I say us, we have two roles in this game. The first one is that uh, we buy the stuff. So you buy paint, you buy food wrapped in plastic, uh, you buy uh, petrol for your car. And when you do that, you are getting businesses to make that stuff for you to consume. That's why they do it. They wouldn't do it otherwise. So there's us as consumers and we do a hell of a lot of consuming and we do a hell of a lot of polluting consuming. But there's also us as shareholders and debt owners and ultimately the owners of these uh, capitalist businesses which people uh, uh, seem to want to blame directly for all and every kind of pollution. You see, businesses only uh, uh, comprise their owners and their owner interests. And ultimately, everybody has to own some portion or part of what those businesses are. 
Now, of course, that ownership is very unequal. And we might say that richer people tend to own more of industry than poorer people. But any pension fund, any pensioner has a stake in the businesses. And what happens to the profits these companies make from their polluting activity when they're polluting is it goes in dividends to individual shareholders and it goes in interest on the debt. And that's it. And in a very serious sense, business never ultimately is the uh, has the economic instance of a tax. Either it's the owners of those companies or it's the customers who pay through the price increases that come when we make the polluters pay uh, for their pollution. So the first thing to get clear is, is with the polluter pays principle is it's us, it's about us, and it's not some convenient way of getting someone else or some other organization to carry the costs. So we are the polluters. Now, uh, of course, it matters how that distribution of costs falls. But there are some circumstances where people say, well, you know what, actually, it's not the polluters who should pay, it's the polluted. And they say that the reasons for these, th this is, is twofold. First of all, it's pretty hard to work out in many cases who is actually the polluter in the first place. So if you look round the estuaries of, uh, 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 of this country, in the muds you will find toxic chemicals which have been deposited, minerals and so on, over hundreds of years in the mud, in the Thames, etc. It happened, many of them were stirred up when the Thames Gateway was built. Well, who put those pollution, pollutants into the atmosphere and into the water system in the first place? Somebody in the middle of the 19th century? Some company long bust? Uh, and um, if you think about the pollution that comes out of coal mines, who are the coal mining owners who actually cause that uh, flooding of mines and leaching of chemicals into the water system? Well, actually, they were uh, probably nationalised industries and therefore they were ultimately owned by the taxpayers 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Can we re retrospectively charge those people as we might want to retrospectively charge people in the 19th century for pollution they caused? So there are circumstances where we just can't identify who the polluters are or they're dead or the companies have gone bust and therefore it's just not possible to apply the polluters pays principle. There is uh, a second class of polluters where they still exist, they're alive today, the companies function, but uh, the pollution itself is diffuse. So if you take groundwater pollution, which farm where put into the water system which pesticide in which amount which went into the totality of the pesticides that might be in the groundwater below uh, the southeast of England? Diffuse pollution in the past has been very, very hard to pin on particular polluters. Good news going forward is the new digital technologies will make it very hard for polluters to hide. And it becomes easier and easier to track exactly what's happening in water systems on a very, very micro basis. So we may crack the diffuse pollution problem in the sense of finding out who is ultimately responsible but that won't solve the problem of the legacy pollution from people long gone. Now, other categories where we might pay the polluters uh, involves things like tropical rainforests. So why should Brazil 
protect its uh, Amazonian forests for the sake of the whole of the world, given that the rest of the world, and particularly the Europeans, cut down all their forests um, and will be the beneficiaries of the uh, climate uh, moderation uh, functions that the rainforest will carry out. So we might pay the Brazilians not to cut down the forest, and this would be the polluted, the recipients of the CO2, which is higher than it otherwise would have been if those rainforests had been left intact, that we will pay the polluter, those who would otherwise fell the forest, not to do those things. Uh, and it may also be that they're just cases where people can't pay, and so we either put up with the pollution or effectively pay people not to do it. So the first case is where you can't find the polluters. The second case, uh, because they're dead or in the past. The second case is where you can't find them because it's diffuse pollution. The third case is where uh, we all benefit globally from particular assets. And the fourth case is where people uh, can't actually afford to pay for the pollution. One more case. Economists say that it doesn't actually matter whether the polluter or the polluted pays because all that matters is they bargain with each other to arrive at the right solution. This is the so-called COSA theorem. And the idea is that if you have, for example, a river um, and you have a fish farm uh, downstream and a chemical firm upstream, as long as someone has the property rights, someone owns the right either to put the uh, pollution in the river or the right to clean water, they will, given those property rights, simply negotiate to find a, an efficient solution. And that efficient solution will be uh, that the fish farm either pays the chemical firm not to do so much polluting, so it has better water, or if the property rights the other way around, the chemical uh, firm pays compensation to the fish, fish farm for the damage done. But the argument is, in theory, the outcome will be the same, regardless of which particular route you go down. Actually, it's not quite right uh, that uh, separating out property rights and economic efficiency conditions purely from equity and fairness is not a clean and clinical uh, operation, which many in conventional economic theory assume. Uh, there will obviously be income effects on the two players and um, uh, the sense of fairness and what's right will affect uh, the preferences and therefore the choices that particular companies and people make. But that's an aside. For the main part, the concept that the polluters should pay as a principle of fairness and then the embedding of that in property rights and entitlements is, in inverted commas, the right thing to do. Now, supposing we do adopt this idea and we say that all costs should be internalised, that all polluters should pay, and that in an efficient economy, all polluters would pay because an efficient economy is where all costs are taken into account. How would we do it? What choices would we make? So there are several ways of going about this. The classic one, and the one in all the textbooks, is to reach for cost-benefit analysis and send some experts in and try and work out exactly what the costs of the pollution are and work out what the benefits from ameliorating the pollution are, and then work out what the optimal charge, levy, or tax ought to be. And this is a, because it's cost-benefit analysis, a marginal concept. So we look at 
what the damage caused by another increment, a bit more pollution is, versus the benefits from a bit less pollution. Uh, and this experts-based approach leads to the idea we should try and get, you know, the plastic bag tax exactly right, the carbon tax uh, exactly equal to the social cost of carbon, and so on and so forth. This, in my view, is normally hopeless. And the reason it's hopeless is twofold. First of all, there is the lack of information. You don't actually know what these costs and benefits might look like. And that leads to the idea that we should take a second route, which is learning by taxing. In other words, try a tax out, try a charge out, see what happens and adjust over time rather than try to go to the right answer first and then uh, 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 assume that the problem's solved. So the second approach is let's put a tax on 5p on a plastic bag, for example, uh, uh, a certain amount on unleaded petrol versus leaded petrol, and then see what the demand response is. And that's probably what we do. And there's a further reason for taking that route too, which is you might want to start with a relatively low pollution charge because you want people to get used to the idea to start the adjustment process. And normally people are locked into the diesel cars they have, uh, the way they do their shopping uh, and so on. And it takes them time to adjust in any event. So that's a kind of learning by charging or taxing the second approach. But there's one other reason why the cost benefit analysis approach is questionable. And that's that most environmental damage doesn't come in marginal increments. What matters is what's happening to the environmental system as a whole. And therefore, rather than start with where we are and edge forward a bit here and a bit there, a marginal gain here, a marginal loss there, we should look at the system as a whole and then work out what the state of those natural capital assets ought to be and then look at the damage that pollution is causing to that system and then work back from that to how much we want to reduce the pollution. So I prefer a systems basis, a non-marginal basis to setting this and therefore cost benefit analysis has its limitations uh, in trying to design these taxes. Anyway, that's one way of doing it, the cost benefit approach. The second one is learning by taxing. The third route to do this is to do some combination. And in practice, that's what we actually do. We use some taxes or charges or levies, and we use regulation as well. And that's practical, sensible, and builds on what we've got. And of course, it has the added benefit of putting safeguard thresholds in place. Recall that uh, in a uh, natural capital asset preserving world, the assets we're really worried about are renewable natural capital, the stuff nature gives us for free and will go on giving us for free, providing we don't drive it below a threshold. And in practice, we need a safe limit above that threshold to make sure that we're really not taking undue risks with um, uh, the environment and particularly these renewable natural capital assets. So uh, we want to make sure that regulation is a safeguard, a fallback, uh, and then we put the charge on top of that in order to incentivize people's behavior.
Now the exact mix of that depends on which you, what you're most worried about. If you've got an asset that's pretty close to the safe limit, and worse still, close to the threshold, then you're probably gonna reach for regulation because you just can't take the risk. You don't know exactly how the pollution charge is gonna work, so you work back and you say, we're just, we're not going there. You know, mercury in the water, we're just not having it. We're not gonna have a levy on mercury pollution. We're just going to ban it or prevent it uh, at or, or impose very low limits on the frame. So that's the third way of doing it. And that's the one we almost always do. So we're gonna do things like producer responsibility, try to do some regulation on plastics, for example, but we're also having a plastic bags tax and a plastic bags tax provides in this example, an example we've had recently, an enormous response that I think few people anticipated would fall. 85% fall off uh, in the use of plastic bags on the basis for shopping, on the basis of just a 5p charge. So we get um, uh, quite big reactions sometimes, but you know, we still got to think about those regulatory rules as well. So that's the issue about how to design the charge. The final point is, would it make much difference? Well, uh, it would definitely make the economy more prosperous. So proper sustainable economic prosperity and growth would be higher than the world in which we have where uh, virtually no polluters really pay for the costs. But now take it through into a core environmental area. Think what would happen in agriculture in a world in which farm, farmers' uh, inputs were a charge for the pollution that those inputs are going to cause. Imagine if fertilizer included within its uh, price to the farmer a charge for the runoff of the nitrates, a charge for the uh, very carbon intensive ways in which fertilizers are produced, uh, charge for the ammonia and so on and so forth. Imagine if the pesticides that were being applied uh, were charged for the pollution. Imagine if herbicides paid for the pollution in the input charge. You know, if Roundup came at a much more expensive price than it currently does. Well, farming practice would be transformed and the relative prices of uh, more environmentally uh, friendly farming techniques versus the current intensive ones would change substantially. It's just not true that intensive farming is economically efficient if it's not paying for the intensive pollution it causes. And so the introduction of the polluter pays principle would be right in agriculture, would improve the overall prosperity of the economy, and it would substantially transform Britain's countryside. Indeed, I happen to think that applying the polluter pays principle to farming would be one of the most radical things we can do to improve our natural environment and to achieve the objectives of the 25-year plan. But that's just the beginning. Imagine if plastic pollution was properly charged. What would happen? Not just the plastic bags and the shopping, but all that wrapping and cellophane and all the things that go with uh, uh, the things we buy. It's, the, it's not the plastic would disappear. Plastic is a very valuable commodity, but we would use it at much more wisely than we currently do. Problem at the end of this is the politics and um, the question of why don't we do such an obviously economically and environmentally efficient thing to do? Well, let's go back to the beginning of this, uh, 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 of this lecture. We said we are the ultimate polluters. 
So who's going to pay these polluter charges? Well, the answer is you and me. In other words, we as the polluters are paying too little for our food, too little for all those household commodity goods we buy, too little for our shopping basket because we are not paying for the consequences on the environment to that wider set of environmental interests to future generations that our consumption is causing. And what this tells you is something which in some sense is intuitively obvious to environmentalists, which is that we are living beyond our means, that we're not actually paying the true costs of what we're consuming. And if you want a sustainable economic growth path, if you want a path to greater prosperity, the first thing you have to address is whether the current uh, way in which we live is itself sustainable. Uh, it would be much more efficient. It would be much better economy. The long run sustainable economic growth would be substantially higher if we had pervasive polluter pays charges. But we have to make an initial adjustment. And since as households, we're not even living within our budgets, the average household is now spending £900 more per annum than their total income, there is a reckoning to come in this framework. But we have to have that and we have to do it and we have to start somewhere. So let's start low. Let's start building on the polluter charges we already have, like the carbon floor price, the plastic bags, uh, tax and so on. And let's in particular think really hard in the new agricultural policy about how to apply the polluter pays principle to agriculture. And then we can gradually move inch by inch towards a more efficient economy, a green and much more prosperous land. Thank you.